Good morning. When I was told that this series was entitled Unlikely Heroes, I was pretty excited. I vigorously racked my brain for who I could talk about. Unlikely heroes are the best, because when people with wealth, status, and privilege make it to the top and save those whom to them are lowly, it's really nothing special, despite the acknowledgement and empowerment felt to the few up top. It is typical, expected, and sometimes even at the cost of others when likely heroes act heroic. It is the unlikeliest who are often overlooked, but whose stories are the most beautiful. As someone who loves to read and listen to stories big and small, I can appreciate those heroes who have heroism thrust upon them, summoning courage from the depths that they often had no idea existed. I hope the words I have to share with you today will resonate and encourage you to find the means to place faith over fear to make your corner of the world better. I recently read a book about writing by Anne Lamott. She shares this story of familial love, and in my opinion, it encompasses the epitome of unlikely heroes. And here are her words. An eight-year-old boy had a younger sister who was dying of leukemia. His parents explained to him that she needed a blood transfusion and that his blood was probably compatible. He agreed to have his blood tested, and the test showed that his blood was compatible to his sister's. Mom and dad asked their son if he would give his sister a pint of blood. The boy asked if he could think about it overnight. The next day, he went to his parents and said he was ready to donate his blood. So they took him to the hospital where he was put on a gurney beside his sister. Both of them were hooked up to IVs. A nurse withdrew a pint of blood from the boy, which was then put into the girl's IV. The boy lay on his gurney in silence while his blood dripped into his sister until the doctor came over to see how he was doing. The boy opened his eyes and asked, how soon until I start to die? As you can see, this boy thought he was giving up his life for his sister. It is almost cruel, this desire to see our family remain healthy, whole, and alive, that is so great that many of us would willingly give up anything to see them to safety. A young eight-year-old boy is not a likely hero, but this little one got his name on the hero list for sure. This story, I hope, will parallel the hero we are looking at today, Rahab. Rahab was put into a desperate situation, and she took this love she had, held onto her faith, and saved herself and her family. Rahab had an abundance of obstacles stacked against her back in her day, certainly making her an unlikely hero. She was a woman, and as we know, this was a major roadblock during this time, even more so than now. And not only was she a woman, but she was a harlot, a prostitute. If those things did not make her seem lowly and insignificant, she had the added bonus of residing in Jer Jericho as a Canaanite, where there was an order for all living beings to be killed, a ban. Today we are going to consider these things, but we are also going to see that her sex, her occupation, and her life circumstances were just parts of her, and her actions are what speak to the bold, brave, and beautiful woman she was. Rahab's story takes place during Joshua's commission to lead the Israelites to the Promised Land. Moses had died, and God placed Joshua as his successor. At this point, Joshua had led his people towards Jericho, the setting of Rahab's story. Joshua's people, the Israelites, have recently been set free from years of slavery. 
The Canaanites resided in Jericho during this time, and what may be difficult to stomach is that Joshua and his army have been instructed by God to kill all living, breathing beings in this territory. This unsettling time is the backdrop to our story today, and though, yes, it is extremely difficult to comprehend and make sense of, I am just as upset by this as you are. We're going to leave it at that and for now as the setting of our story and focus on our hero, Rahab. So let's take a look at our passage, Joshua 2, 1 through 14. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord is giving you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sahan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So go, Rahab. When I initially read this, I saw it as just a short narrative about a woman who got real lucky. But when you think of her story, really think of it. Imagine it from Rahab's perspective. If you're Rahab, you know that any day your city is going to be torn to pieces. Every person and animal is going to die, and you know that you and all whom you care for are going to be slaughtered. Then a couple of members of the killing party come to ask you for information that will help them defeat you and your city. What do you do? She takes her opportunity, knowing full well that the God they are serving is going to win, and she is taking a risk that maybe, just maybe, her faith in this God is going to make this into an ending that is not the end she thought it would be. She hides the Israelites. She lies to the messenger sent by the king. She sends them off on a false trail, makes a deal with the Israelites, gives them advice about hiding, and successfully saves her family. So Rahab has taught me a few things here. First, she has taught me that our faults can be more prominent to others and ourselves than our strengths. Our sins, faults, deficits are sometimes magnified more than our positive traits. 
This was shouted to me at the very first verse in this story. It caught my eye every time I read it. From the message, the King James Version, the first verse in the translations I came across introduced our hero with the word harlot or prostitute coming before her name. The verse most commonly reads, the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab. It is almost as if her name is an afterthought. Isn't it a shame that her harlotry is greater, not in goodness, but in weight, than her name? I've been reading a lot about women lately. In one of my books entitled Vindicating the Vixens, Revisiting Sexualized, Vilified, and Marginalized Women of the Bible, a book of contributions edited by an associate professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, I was reminded that the writers of these biblical stories wrote them down while within an extreme patriarchal society, a society where men were considered much higher. They were significantly more powerful than women. It was very different from our own culture, and therefore when these stories were written, they were written with a much different context than what we often imagine. There are also many opinions surrounding the words prostitute or harlot. Some believe that prostitution or harlotry are entirely sinful, unacceptable occupations, and that women are to blame when we consider this sin. There are other ways of considering prostitution, and another opinion is quoted in my Vindicating the Vixens book. Prostitution is, quote, one of the many ways that men use their power and privilege to exploit and abuse women. I will repeat that. Prostitution is, quote, one of the many ways that men use their power and privilege to exploit and abuse women. Keep in mind that during this time, men had the power. Women relied on their fathers or their husbands entirely for their survival, so much so that a widow, quote, could be left to choose between slavery, prostitution, or destitution, according to theologian E. Moore. Another opinion is presented in the chapter on Tamar in regard to where the blame often lies when sexual sin occurs. This is an opinion that we have seen in biblical times as well as today. As soon as anything of sexual nature occurs, the woman involved becomes the prime suspect. She bears more of the blame and carries the guilt a whole lot longer than the man involved. Even in seminary, we see that, quote, while seminaries warn pastors about the danger of predatory women, few emphasize the danger of the abuse of power. We've seen stories of sexual sin among clergy members in the news lately, and some of us have seen it in actuality within our own churches. It is often true when between a man and a woman, the blame falls on the woman. So please keep in mind that though Rahab was indeed a harlot, she did not act alone, but she did take the blame. We should perhaps also note that God sees the greater picture and is sure to understand the oppression placed on those who have decided that a life of prostitution is their only option. So Rahab's harlotry is prominent in our story, but who else is this woman? Here is one more flaw of hers. Rahab is a liar. She lied to her king. Her harlotry, or I'm sorry, in my course of research, I came across articles, blogs, book descriptions that discuss Rahab, and her harlotry and her lies come first just about every time. It seems like when Rahab tells her lie, her lies and harlotry may remain bigger than all else. But I would like to bring to light that Rahab is more than we initially give her credit for. When we look at verse 11, we see that Rahab is a woman of faith. Her city is about to come under attack by these people whom were sent directly by God to destroy it, and Rahab proclaims her faith in him. In verses 12 and 13, we see that Rahab is a woman who loves 
much like the little boy we heard about earlier. She has parents and siblings for whom she is risking her life. She disobeys the law and hides the spies. She lies to the king. She sends the spies to safety. All the while, she knows there's a chance that she will be punished for what she's doing. And the smallest possibility that this could save them all drives her to act. Rahab loves. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us, but now abide, faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's acknowledge this today in our hero. Rahab is a daughter and a sister, and I believe that what drives her to act in such great measures is her love for her family. That is heroism. Which brings us to look at verses 6 and verse 16. We see that Rahab is plain and simple a hero. She tells the king's messengers, hurry up, chase them, you can still catch them. She doesn't just send them away, she gets them to move away fast. And in verse 16, she gives the spies specific instructions. We didn't see this in our verse behind me, but I'll, um, I'll tell you what she does. She tells them to hide for three days, gives the men, or give the king's men enough time to come back and then go. There are many instances in our less patriarchal society of today when women are labeled as bossy and pushy for directing anyone. In this case, these men would not have gotten far without her wise, sound instruction. For someone who in this society does not hold much regard, she does a phenomenal job of holding her own, getting things done, and being a true hero to her family. So let us keep this in mind as we live our lives as people who are just not perfect. Just as I hope we will consider Rahab a woman of faith and love instead of the harlot Rahab, I hope we can do the same for ourselves. Think of who you are. When you consider yourself in your life, consider those things that are good. We would all hate to have our worst qualities or what others perceive to be our worst qualities be what define us. If this is our habit, something I recently read in a book about happiness was to remember these words. There is only love. When you look in the mirror, when you encounter anyone on the street, on the L, on the phone with your mom, try repeating these words. There is only love. What would our interactions be like if we only saw the positive traits in fellow humans, if we only loved them? A second point resonated with me while studying Rahab's story, and it was this. Our fears sometimes have more influence on our decisions than our faith. Our fears sometimes have more influence on our decisions than our faith. And when our fears don't have more influence, when we focus and act on our faith, that is when we act heroic. There were so many things to be afraid of in Rahab's case. Punishment for harboring spies, her own death, and probably to Rahab even worse than her own death was the promise of the death of her family. In verse 9, Rahab explains to the spies that I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. The message explains the phrase melted away as a state of panic. In verse 11, she proclaims, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he in heaven above and on earth beneath. Rahab describes the terror of her people and follows it by a proclamation of God. In the very next verse, she asks for the men to be sure that she and her family are spared. She was driven by the love of her family to ensure that they too would be saved, and it worked. Her faith in God moved the men to give her and her family a chance to escape. 
we see her success in chapter 6 as the Israelites are preparing to take over Jericho. Joshua claims, And the city shall be under the ban, and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. We see that Rahab has done well. I would not say that Rahab did not feel fear, but I do believe that her proclamation of God's power was placed above that fear. Despite her role as a Canaanite, harlot, and simply as a woman, she did not relent in her belief that she was worthy of survival. Rahab's story reminds me of another that most of us are familiar with. Many of us have read or heard of Anne Frank, The Diary of a Young Girl. It's a story that holds so many instances where another unlikely woman places her faith above her fear. Anne Frank is the author, and she wrote these beautiful, sometimes surprisingly humorous diary entries when she and her family were hiding as Jewish people during World War II. As the family endured sleeping in close quarters, remaining silent during the day, using a makeshift toilet, rarely, if ever, seeing the light of day for years, and knowing that a regime of hatred towards them and many others was building just outside their walls, Anne wrote down her hopes and remained faithful that good remained. She wrote, It's difficult in times like these. Ideals, dreams, and cherished hopes rise within us, only to meet the horrible truth and be shattered. It's a wonder I haven't dropped all my ideals because they seem so absurd and impossible to carry out. Yet I keep them just because in spite of everything, I still believe that people are truly good at heart. For a young Jewish girl to express her faith in humanity at this time, while forced into these living conditions under the threat of being forced into a camp and or killed, and ultimately she and most of her family were killed, we know that her belief in something bigger drove her life each day. Here she writes about her faith in people, but the other diary entries express her sincere curiosity and belief in God as well. Her story is another where an unlikely hero rises to heroism. A famous line from her book, directly from her heart to her diary, reads, who else but me is ever going to read these letters? God is a redeemer, and he has used her story and Rahab's and so many others to teach us of his promises, whether ultimately they look the way we hope for them to look or not. On the wall in my office, I have posted a letter from Gandhi to Hitler, written on July 23, 1939, and he's pleading, obviously in vain, for Hitler to stop what he started, I keep this there to remind myself of how easy it is for our world to turn into one in which fears are what are running it. Some of us even vote according to our fears of other people. Gandhi once said, the enemy is fear. We think it is hate, but it is fear. Our faults and our differences are often feared by others, and that fear is so powerful, these faults are sometimes magnified. Glenn Creeder, in her chapter about Eve in my Vindicating the Vixens book, writes, quote, Our goal as Christians should be to view other humans, especially the opposite sex, as fellow members of the family of God rather than objects to be conquered or feared. It is hard to love one that is feared. It is hard to love one who is seen as duplicitous and deceitful. It is hard to love one who is perceived to be the seductress. And it is hard for her to love those who see her that way. Throughout history, fears of other people have seemed to erase our awareness that the other people are people. They are worthy of respect, no more or less than those who look and act like we do, no more or less than those we understand. 
I believe that Anne Frank's diary entries would have read entirely different had everyone in that time remembered that fear is not what should drive us. So what is it that scares you? Oftentimes, these fears are connected to our faults. There's a quote that I use to remind myself to remain faithful and leave fear behind. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Since I was a kid, I've been incredibly afraid of losing loved ones, which I think is a pretty common fear. I considered never pursuing a relationship because of this. Even today, I have anxiety when my husband gets in the car and goes anywhere, constantly imagining fiery car wrecks that end in the worst possibilities. Thankfully, I took the plunge and got married and have, since that day, considered it the best decision of my life. It was a risk, and it is a risk of great loss, but one where I put my faith before fear, and I've seen so many positive things in the result. And that brings me to the last point that I found in Rahab's story. Living a life of faith leads to redemption. We are never going to see full redemption here on earth because we live in a broken world. But we are given snippets of this redemption in the meantime. We see this in Joshua 6.16 when Joshua proclaims that Rahab's life and those of her family have been spared. Rahab had much to fear, but her faith is what made this happen. In Joshua chapter 1, the chapter preceding the one we focused on today, God speaks with Joshua and tells him, be strong and courageous, three times in the nine-verse dialogue. When Joshua converses with his army, they reply to him with their last words being, only be strong and courageous. It is easy to say this while in a building with coffee and air conditioning, but our lives are full of pivotal points where we can choose to look at what could go wrong or we can choose to look at the fact that courage, though not as easy, is often the best path to take. A great thing about courage is that we can really take a step back and look at figures that God has appointed in the Bible, as well as examples in our lives today and in recent years. I've always been a big reader, but it wasn't until 2016 that I really took the characters and historical figures whom I had so long admired but simply been entertained by and hooked onto their examples for my own life. From fictional characters like Harry Potter, who knows he sort of has a choice when deciding whether or not to fight against darkness, but not really, because the lives of his loved ones are so much more important to him than his own safety and comfortability. And Frodo, he could have passed the ring on to someone else in the fellowship, but volunteered to take it himself. But then there are even greater examples the real people in history who have done, as Harry and Rahab have done, and risked everything for justice to prevail for their loved ones. Harriet Tubman, she herself escaped to freedom, but she was not content with staying. She went back for 11 years, 19 times, and rescued hundreds of slaves. Harriet claimed, and I prayed to God to make me strong and able to fight, and that's what I've always prayed for ever since. Malayla Yousafzai, she was shot by the Taliban for being vocal about her passion for education for girls. She survived and later claimed, they thought bullets would silence us, but they failed. Let us pick up our books and pens. They are our most powerful weapons. One child, one teacher, one book, and one pen can change the world. She's the youngest person to have ever received the Nobel Peace Prize. 
There's Maya Angelou, who experienced sexual assault when raped by her mother's boyfriend and did not speak for five years. She eventually spoke out in waves of bravery during the civil rights movement. In her faith, on her faith, she once said, I found that I knew not only that there was God, but that I was a child of God. When I understood that, when I comprehended that, more than that, when I internalized that, ingested that, I became courageous. Her faith was bigger than her fear, and she was, is, pivotal in working towards justice. In her book, Half the Church, Recapturing God's Global Vision for Women, Carolyn Custis James writes this, a woman's high calling as God's image bearer renders her incapable of insignificance, no matter what has gone wrong in her life or how much she has lost. Even in her community, even if her community shoves her aside, turns a deaf ear to the sound of her voice, or regards her as invisible, even if she is forced into a passive role in her community, she remains vital to God's purposes and is a solid contributor anyway. She cannot be stopped. We see evidence of this truth in the written record of God's hand in the Bible, as well as in the stories he gives us today. As I move towards closing today, I am hopeful that our community will remain mindful of placing fear at the back of our lives as we make decisions every day about how we wish to live. As people of faith, we can live our lives according to God only when we know and understand what that looks like. When I was in college, I remember being empowered to learn from Jesus' statement about the greatest commandment. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I was taught in semester one at Eastern that loving God included loving him with my mind. To me, this means studying who God is and understanding that his word is something that needs to be used with great care and caution. Understanding God is what led Rahab to act faithfully and heroically. There are instances, however, where God's word is used in ways that are oppressive, inaccurate, or negligent if the context is not fully considered. For example, the stories of women in the Bible are sometimes misconstrued in today's society. In regard to the story of Deborah the judge and prophetess, a professor of theology and biblical studies assumed Something is abnormal. Something is wrong. There are no men to function as judge. Regardless of the fact that in her story, Deborah is used as a vital piece of God's plan, yet this man today assumes there's something wrong if a woman has been appointed judge. In the story of David and Bathsheba, we are often led to believe that Bathsheba acted as a seductress when really David spies on her as she bathes unaware that she's being watched and he orders for her to be brought over, and he rapes her. What message are we missing here? Rahab's story is one of these that can be misconstrued, and there are many others where maybe, just maybe, we have been focusing on one aspect of a character and missing out on what else God can teach us. In Rahab's example, though yes, God did take the life of a sinner and redeem her through her faith and actions, we're missing something when we focus hard on the fact that Rahab is a harlot and a liar while ignoring her faith, her love for her family, and her self-worth despite her circumstances. Let's not let the women just be harlots and sexual sinners. 
In addition to focusing on how God is able to redeem a harlot, let's focus on how this strong woman rose above her fears, saved herself and her family, ultimately continuing a lineage that led to Jesus. Every one of us does the best that we can in life with the information that we have, what we have been taught and what we know in the moment. But we can always do better. We can question what we have learned. Rahab placed faith over fear in a patriarchal society where little to no resources were available to her. We are living in a time where we have an abundance of resources at our fingertips and have many chances to understand who God is and what he calls for us to do. If you are a reader, you can read books. If you can't read, we can listen to books. We have the internet, libraries, fellow small group members, or people in our congregation to go to to learn more. And as we learn more, we can better understand what God would have us understand. Let us love God with our minds, develop a genuine faith, focus on our strengths, and place that faith over any fear that we may have so that we can live in the way that we are most closely able to live as God calls us.